Welcome to the Fit Pro Industry Podcast. Lisa and Lutra Grisali are the founders of Exercise and Nutrition Works Incorporated and the creators of the Certified Fitness Nutrition Specialist CEU Accredited Home Study Program. They are business coaches focused on helping personal trainers, coaches, health practitioners, and fitness industry experts monetize their nutrition knowledge with a proven system to convert prospects into high-paying clients. Create custom meal plans based on the individual and automate their business to add an additional $10,000 per month. To get a copy of their groundbreaking ebook, Seven Proven Steps to Fill Your Nutrition Practice, and the Seven Most Common Mistakes to Avoid, that will work hand in hand with this podcast to help you transform your business, go to http colon backslash backslash monetizeyournutritionknowledge.com. On the podcast, Lisa Crisali talks with industry experts, sharing insider secrets and cutting-edge programs that are working today. And now, here is your host, Lisa Crisali. Welcome to the Fit Pro Industry Podcast, where we have candid conversations with leaders in the health, fitness, and wellness industry. Join us each week as we discuss building a profitable business, what's working today, the tools, resources, and highlights, and also what's not working. This is your host, Lisa Crisali. I'm the co-owner of Exercise and Nutrition Works, Inc., and the live Monetize Your Nutrition Knowledge Convert, Create, Automate event, which brings together health, fitness, and wellness entrepreneurs and business owners twice a year here in Las Vegas, where we develop custom solutions and create profitable nutrition systems with our patented What Works custom nutrition software. It's my favorite event of the year that we do. It is coming up and you guys still have the opportunity to get started and join us. We'll talk more about that at the very end of the show as well. But I don't want to hold off anymore because I have a really special guest again this week, you guys. As you know, every week I bring you these different leaders in our industry. And I'm super excited because our guest today, if you haven't heard of him, and most of you probably have is Dre Baldwin, and he is the world's only work-on-your-game expert. He is a nine-year professional basketball player. Dre actually teaches mental toughness, self-confidence, and self-discipline to athletes, entrepreneurs, and business professionals. Perfect fit for our conversation here today. Dre has worked with Nike. He's worked with Finish Line, Wendy's, Gatorade, Buick, Wilson Sport, and Dime Magazine. Dre's been featured on EO Fire Podcast, JLD, he's the man. And he's also recorded with Eric E.T. Thomas. Now he's also been blogging since 2005 and he started publishing to YouTube back in 2006. He has over 5,000, that's 5,000 videos published with daily content going out to his 115,000 plus subscribers. Wow, that's a good list. 115,000 subscribers plus and being viewed over 35 million times. Dre's Work On Your Game show on Grant Cardone TV is consistently in the top five in views on the network. Wow, this is going to be a fun conversation today. So let me just wrap this up. Dre, he speaks, he coaches and consults business professionals on mental toughness, confidence, and discipline. He has given three TED Talks, you guys, and I can't wait to, to share this with you because they're really fantastic. He's published seven books, and he has a daily podcast, Work On Your Game, with Dre all day. He is a Philadelphia native and Penn State alum. Dre lives in Miami. Dre, are you there? I'm here. I am so excited to talk with you today. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. So we have a mutual friend who introduced us. And again, that's one of the things I love about this industry. It's, you know, it's all about making connections and talking to people and expanding, you know, expanding your mind, expanding who we can bring in. And I just knew that we were going to be a perfect fit and we have some really cool things to share. So I'm going to ask you my first question here, which is going to have you kind of going back a ways. I mean, you've got this amazing experience and background, but what really got you started? Where did you start off? What got you into basketball? What started you down this path? Well, what started me in basketball is I always play sports. Coming from the city of Philadelphia, that's pretty much the only options you had. (laughs) You're either going to be playing sports or, I mean, playing video games. We did have video games back then, but I was always physically active. So we started out playing kickball and football in the driveway on concrete. My parents sent me probably around the age of nine to try out for a football team in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I practiced with the football team for about two weeks, and I was think I was doing pretty good. But after two weeks, the coaches said, okay, now we're going to start you know, hitting and tackling and blocking, so you need to bring, every player needs to start bringing their full equipment to practice. Mm-hmm. I went and told my parents what the coaches had said, and my parents came back with, listen, we can't afford football equipment for you. So that was pretty much the end of my football career. I couldn't mm-hmm. get any football equipment. But my parents did tell me that there was a baseball team that was going to be starting up pretty soon in my neighborhood. So I went out for the baseball team. My favorite athlete growing up was this guy named Deion Sanders. He played ah. football and baseball. So yeah. I figured if I can't be Deion in football, I'll be Deion in baseball. So I went and played baseball starting at age nine. I had no real attitude, no real talent for baseball. And I stuck with playing baseball as my dad was actually coaching our team. I stuck with playing baseball up until age 14. And that was when we finally went from playing in a league where, I don't know if any of the listeners know, but in the youth leagues of baseball, at least when I was growing up, we played with a pitching machine. Uh-huh. So there'd, there'd be an umpire standing at the pitcher's mound instead of an actual pitcher. He dropped the ball in the machine. The machine would just spit the ball out in the same spot every time. So mm. it took me about four years to get good at hitting that ball. It was coming <laughs> to the same spot every time. So then by the fifth year, we went up to a, I guess, a regular baseball league where there was a real person throwing the ball. And I could not hit a pitch baseball to save my life. I probably couldn't to this very day. So after that season, I knew baseball was not in my future. So I took a 50-yard walk over from the baseball diamond to the basketball court, playground in my neighborhood, and started playing basketball. I figured I have some height, and I have long arms, I'm athletic, I can run, I can jump. I'm black, maybe basketball workout. So that's when I started giving basketball a shot. I was terrible at first, but then I you know, just continued to work on my game. Working on my game back then, I realized even though I didn't have a trainer, even though there was no YouTube video to reference, there were no Mm. programs that I could buy off the internet, I didn't have anyone taking me under their wing and teaching me how to play, I realized very early in basketball that most of the players who were better than me, even though they were my age or even younger, they wouldn't come to the courts as often as I would. I would be out there in the middle of the afternoon, 12, 1, 2 o'clock when it's blazing hot, and this is Philadelphia where I'm from. Mm-hmm. When it's blazing hot, no one would be out there. It would be completely empty because it's too hot. Everyone would come out in the evenings, maybe around 6 o'clock, and play 5-on-5 basketball. Everyone came out for that. That's how I knew that I wasn't good because I rarely, I, sometimes I wouldn't even get picked for those games. But I realized very early that if I just come outside, not only every night at 6 o'clock for the games with everybody, but if I also come out here between, let's say, 11 o'clock and 4 o'clock every day and just practice eventually over the years I'm eventually pass everybody and I didn't have any proof of that I didn't have anyone who had done it and said I guarantee you Dre this is going to work 
But I just figured that that would work. So I just kept working on my game over and over. And over the years, I eventually, eventually started to develop more skills. And the rest kind of became the story. But I'm sure we'll fill that in as we go along. Wow. Okay, so this is really cool because you didn't have the natural aptitude, which we, you know, we tend to think most professional basketball players and professional sports athletes, you think that the majority of them have that natural aptitude right off the bat. So this is really about the perseverance and this, I guess my question is going to be, was there something about basketball that really clicked for you? Because I mean, you, you did football, you did baseball, but there was something about basketball that you're like, I think this is the thing I just need to keep working on. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like a process of elimination. No. <laughs> football. Here's the thing with football is that I didn't have the equipment. You right. can't play football without football equipment. You need cleats. Right. You need, there's a bunch of pads you have to have. You need the shoulder pads. You need a helmet. <laughs> and all that stuff costs money. Yeah. And my parents just yeah. could not afford to pay for it. I'm nine years old, so I didn't have a job. I couldn't go get the and money for schools it. schools didn't have those? They didn't provide that? Oh, no, hell no. We're oh. talking about the Philadelphia school system. Oh. So, no. Wow, <laughs> interesting. They, you'd be lucky if they gave you books. Wow. But no, there was no football equipment. And this wasn't a school football team. This was a neighborhood, like uh-huh. a playground. Got it. So you had to provide your own equipment. Okay. And then baseball, the next sport, required a little bit less equipment. All you needed was a glove and probably some cleats if you're going to be a serious baseball player, maybe some pants. So less equipment investment. The problem was I just wasn't good at baseball. I wasn't yeah. good at fielding and ground ball. Right. I had long legs. I, wasn't good. I couldn't get the glove down on the dirt, so the ball went under my leg a bunch of times. I would misjudge fly balls and not catch them. I couldn't really hit a pitch baseball. So, I mean, what skill, what am I bringing to the table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. So, the last sport was basketball. All my friends in the neighborhood played it. And when you come from the environment I come from, where everyone doesn't have the type of money to invest and their parents aren't investing in them playing the sport, basketball is a great alternative because you don't need any equipment to play basketball. Right. You can show up to a basketball court with the clothes that you have on, that you wore to school all day, that you wore to church and play, and there could be 30 people at the park, only one person needs to bring a ball, right. and you got a basketball game. Absolutely. There was the opportunity right there. So it was born out of opportunity. <laughs> born out of opportunity. So you continue to play, you're training hard. This is, I'm guessing, the area where you started to develop the discipline. And we'll talk more about this, because this is sort of a key piece that you teach, which is developing the discipline. And is that where it was really born from for you? Well, the discipline was actually born from just growing up, period. My mother is a strict disciplinarian. <laughs> She's an educator herself, so she was real big on school. So she'd be very disciplined with my sister and I. My sister's a year older than me. Just real disciplined on us getting school done. We always had chores, mm-hmm. you know, every Saturday morning, get up, vacuum the floors, dust the furniture, clean the bathrooms. You know, the, the normal chores that some yeah. children grow up having to do. So yeah. we were... My mom was very strict about that. We weren't allowed to go outside and play on school nights. We could only play on the weekends. We weren't allowed to play video games during the week. We couldn't even watch TV during the week. So basically, all you could do was homework and talk to each other or read a book. Those are the only things we could do during the week. So she was very strict about that. So I had that type of discipline, which was coming from the outside. But once I started playing basketball and I realized, I knew I could get better if I just kept practicing. Yeah. Nobody told me that. I don't know why I knew that or why hmm. I thought it. I just figured if I kept practicing, I can get better. And since I had already been under a regime of strict discipline, I knew I could do that. And listen, going outside and 
playing basketball was better than sitting in the house and possibly having my mom you know, sign me some chores. <laughs> so I figured out as much as possible. That's cool. So, so then, how did you go from playing and you know really working on your game yourself to actually getting into professional? Okay, well, that was this I started is... playing basketball around age fourteen. Okay. Around age fourteen, when I was playing basketball, I was a freshman in high school. Came in, tried out for the basketball team, didn't make it. Sophomore year, tried out, didn't make it. Wow. Coming into my junior year, I'm fifteen years old. I started to get some athleticism. I could finally dunk the ball if I got a running start and nobody was in the way. I dunk the ball, so I'm like, yeah, now this year's tryouts a basketball team. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna dunk the ball. Everybody's gonna be talking about me. This is gonna be it. And at my school. Well, our school is very small. We didn't even have a junior varsity. So either you made the varsity team or you didn't play. Okay. So I go to tryouts. First day of tryouts, I get messed up with this guy who was about my height, but he was a lot bigger and stronger than me. He was a year older than me. And he just scored on me like eight times in a row. He just kept scoring on me, and I couldn't stop this guy because he was just too strong. So I didn't get my dunk. I didn't get my highlight. And everybody was talking about me, though, but for all the wrong reasons, but because I was the guy who had got embarrassed wow. at basketball tryouts as a junior. So I didn't make the team again my junior year of high wow. school. So at that point, any reasonable, logical person <laughs> could, could look at me and say, okay, look, Dre, look, you love basketball, that's fine. You play on the weekends, it's fine. But basketball is not going to be your future. So you need to figure out, you know, we start thinking about, mind you, I'm 15, 16 years old at the time. And you start thinking about what your future is going to be. Obviously, we already know it's not football. We already know it's not baseball. And in my neighborhood, there wasn't any other sport. I mean, there's a tennis court, but nobody ever used it. We didn't have a swimming pool. And if we did, you didn't want to get in it. So there was no other sport to play. There was no other sport to play. So for about a week after that tryout in high school, I was just trying to reconstruct in my mind, what could I do? What could I be excited about in my life? Because even back then, age 15, I was using a technique that I could not have explained back then, but of course we all know now is visualization. Yeah. I had always been using that. I had always visualized, okay, I'm, even after the setbacks, after I didn't make it in ninth grade, okay, I started visualizing, okay, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna be the tenth grader on the basketball team. And that didn't work. I started visualizing being a junior on the basketball team. Because anyone who's a basketball fan knows the story of Michael Jordan. He didn't make the basketball team, but he was a junior mm -hmm. in high school. So I figured out right, I could still be on the Michael Jordan track. All I gotta do is make it as a junior. And I can still become the greatest player of all time. I'm getting ready to write my Hall of Fame speech, just like Michael Jordan. So <laughs> during that, about a week, like I said, after I didn't make it as a junior, I was just trying to reconstruct in my mind, what can I be? Can I be a rapper? I had no talent for that. Could I just start taking school more seriously and be more of an academic, kind of like my sister was? No, I didn't really want to do that. I couldn't really figure what I wanted to do. So for about a week, I was in just mentally in limbo. But the only vision that kept coming back to me over and over again was somehow, some way, I was still going to play basketball. Yeah. I don't know where, who, when, what, why, how. But then someone told me there was a local recreational league team in my neighborhood that I could go try out for during my junior year of high school. So I'm still in school, but not on the school team, but I went and played on this local team. I played on that local team and actually played pretty well. And that really helped build my confidence. I finally got to play on the team where I was one of the players who was looked to to kind of deliver, one of the top players on the team, and I was actually delivering. So that built my confidence. Finally, in my senior year of high school, I did make the basketball team. I averaged like two points per game all season as a senior in high school. So still, even coming out of high school, no one was predicting me to do anything as a basketball player. Mm -hmm. You had basically taken everyone on that roster that year. I'm talking to seniors, juniors, and the sophomores, and the freshmen. 
but that's all I want to list though. Who do you think is going to be the most successful in their life as a basketball player from the most to the least? I still would have been at the bottom of that list compared to everyone else on the team because even though I was a senior, so I played a little bit more, maybe a little bit more than a couple people, but the fact that I was a senior, you you would expect the senior to be one of the better performers, but I scored two points per game. I was of the six seniors on the team. I was clearly the worst player of the six. So no one would have expected me to do anything as a basketball player. I went on and walked on to a school, which was actually two years athletically, but it was four years academically. It was a branch campus of Penn State University. Mm-hmm. Walked on there, played okay my freshman year. I didn't set the world on fire. I made the basketball team. Walked on, uh, played okay. And that summer, actually, when we come right back to the discipline that you talk about, Lisa, that summer, because Penn State Abington is actually a commuter campus, and that means, for those who don't know, it's a college campus that doesn't have any student housing on campus. Okay, so right. Everyone who goes to the school lives at home. So everyone who goes there is from that area. Okay. This is right outside of Philadelphia. So I'm living at my parents' house my freshman year of college. That summer, I would always go to the gym on campus at Penn State Abington and work on my game. That's all I would do. Every day in the summer, in the morning, I would drive to the gym, work on my game, and I had a job at CVS that summer. And then the evening, I would go work on my job at CVS. And that's all I would do every day. No one knew I was doing it. The coach did not mandate that we did it. If I wasn't telling the story, no one would ever know that I was in there. There was literally zero people in the gym except the one guy who had to work there opening and closing the building every day in the summertime. A college campus in the summertime is yeah. pretty quiet. Right. Not many people around. So I would go to every day workout, and one particular day, I didn't eat breakfast before I left the house. So I decided I need to walk over to the campus cafeteria so I could get myself something to eat. And this campus, Penn State Abington, is very small. It's only four buildings, pretty much. So the cafeteria was one of those buildings. I walk over there, get myself something to eat, and as I'm walking out, some guy approaches me. I knew I hadn't seen this guy before. It was a small campus. I knew I didn't know his face. I knew he wasn't from around there. He approaches me. He says, hey, man, what position do you play? And I'm looking at this guy like, I know I don't know him. Mind you, we're not even in the basketball gym. We're in the cafeteria. Uh-huh. He's position I play. And I'm like, well, how do you know I even play something? What are you talking about? He said, well, I'm just asking. And I said, okay, well, I'll play guard. So then we start having a conversation less than about two minutes into the conversation. He pulls his business card out of his pocket. He's the head basketball coach at a different Penn State branch campus, at a Division Three campus. He introduces himself, and I say, oh, I heard of this campus. I knew I knew a little bit about the campus. It was a higher level than the school I was at at the time. And he was just asking me, really, we were talking academics. He was saying, what are you majoring in? I told him what I majored in. He said, well, we don't offer that at my campus, but we do have something similar. And I was already sold. By the time that conversation was over, I said, listen, if this guy wants me to come there, I'm gone. Because I get to get out of my parents' house. I get to go to a higher level school. And I'm actually, I have somebody coming up to me, wanting me on their basketball team. Right. This is the first time this has ever happened in my life. I'm 19 years old. It's the first time anyone ever came to me and said, I want you to play on my basketball wow. team. So <laughs> I ended up transferring to that school. It was called Penn State Altoona. Went there for my last three years of college. The coach who recruited me, actually got fired after my sophomore year. So the first year I played for him, when he recruited me, he got fired. So he gets replaced by another coach. This guy was actually a former NBA player by the name of Armin Gilliam. And Gilliam, coming into our team, since we weren't too good my sophomore year, which is the reason why that coach got fired, Gilliam, he realized or he reasoned that, okay, since the team wasn't that good, 
I should probably not keep all these returning players because these returning players were the players who were playing when the team wasn't good. Right. So he got rid of a whole – we had nine returning players that year. He got rid of six of them right off the bat. Six of them mm-hmm. didn't even make the team. And I'm talking juniors, seniors, sophomores, didn't make the basketball team mm-hmm. his first year coaching. I was one of three guys who did make it, but he and I didn't really see eye-to-eye in playing styles and what position he wanted me to play. I was kind of immature and very egotistical, so I wasn't really trying to follow what he wanted me to do. We didn't have a lot of talent with the new roster and all the players he had gotten rid of. Long story short, I get kicked off the basketball team early in my junior year. Now, mind you, this guy's a brand new coach. So for those who don't really follow how NCAA sports work, a guy just in his first year coaching and you class heads with him and you're a junior and he kicks you off the team, your career at that school is pretty much over because you can pretty much assume that he'll probably at least make it to his second year as coach. Right. Even if his first year is terrible. So my senior year would only be his second year under contract. So even if he went 0-50, they probably at least give him a chance to find out if he can turn it around. Right. So I knew my college basketball career was over. And I was only a junior. I had a year and a half left. So for that last year and a half, I decided, well, I can't transfer because nobody's going to offer me a scholarship or anything like that because what resume do I have to show them? I haven't done anything that makes me worthy of being recruited. I had nothing. So all I had was, let me just go to school, make sure I get my degree since I'm already here, and I'll just utilize the gym. I'll work on my game, just keep getting myself better. And now I had to set my sights for playing professional basketball. I had no idea, again, who, what, when, where, why, how I was going to make it into professional basketball. There was no YouTube. There wasn't anybody online writing blog posts about it. There wasn't a course you could read on it. There wasn't anybody I could hit up on Twitter and ask them questions because they had experience. There was no resource for this information. Yeah. So I just decided to go into what Jim Rohn has mentioned, high activity. I just went into a high activity and just tried as many things as I could. I went online, and this is 2004, mind you. Internet did exist, but most of us were still on desktop computers. Uh-huh. slow, dial-up connections. Mm-hmm. So I'm online, and I would just look up pro basketball tryouts or uh, a, there was a league called the ABA. It was a smaller, minor basketball league. They had tryouts in the state of Pennsylvania. I drove. I went rented a car from Enterprise, rented a car, paid a $100 entry fee to the camp, went to my first ever tryout camp. There were literally four players at the tryout camp, me and three other guys. Wow. Now, usually a tryout camp, you expect it to be yeah. 100, obviously, because everyone wants an opportunity to play in the pros. Four right. guys showed up to the tryout. And one of the guys, he was so out of shape, 25 minutes into the, the tryout, he quit. He left. Because he almost damn near had an asthma attack. So it was only three guys. We have a tryout with three guys. After the tryout, and his coach says, listen, you guys, I appreciate y'all showing up. But obviously, we can't really evaluate you because only three people here. We're having another tryout in a week and a half. All of you don't have to pay again. Just show up, and we'll let you into that one. So we can kind of evaluate you against a bunch of other players. Right. I say, cool. I show up to the next tryout, a week and a half later. And since I had went to that tryout, I told one of my teammates who was the same year as me, hey, you should come to this tryout too because we both want to play pro ball. So me and my teammate go to the second tryout. And at this tryout, there's a grand total of three players at the tryout. <laughs> me, my teammate, and one other guy. <laughs> wow. So if, if I didn't bring my teammate, it would have been me and this other guy playing one-on-one for two hours. So we had the second tryout. Again, not many people there. The coaches say, look, we're having another tryout in Baltimore, Maryland in two weeks. We guarantee there will be a lot of players at this. So, again, they offer this free registration. I go to the third tryout. This one's in Baltimore, Maryland. 
And this one, there were about 200 players at Penn Gym. Wow. Now, the thing with 200 players being in the gym is that the coaching staff, the staff of evaluators, was about three people. There's no way that three people can evaluate 250 players individually at once while they're all playing at the same time. They just can't see everybody at once. So that tryout, I didn't get, nothing came from it, basically. I went to those three tryouts and got absolutely nothing out of it, but a bunch of traveling, and I got you know, this story that I just told you. And that was my first year. So out of college, I have a degree. I graduated with a business degree focused in management and marketing from Penn State. And I went back home at the end of the summer of 2004. And I'm back in my parents' house again because I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I just had a college degree. Nothing else to show for it. My parents said, okay, well, you're home now, son. You have a college degree. Congratulations. What do you want to do now? And I said, I want to play professional basketball. And they, now, let me just paint the picture here. <laughs> From everything that I told you so far, this uh-huh. is just some who couldn't, didn't play football, couldn't cut it as a baseball player, barely made the team in high school as a basketball player as a senior, didn't do much in college in basketball, got kicked off the team as a junior in college. So mind you, a junior in college, you're 20, 21 years right, old, right? A young adult, so you should kind of have some idea of where you're going. Didn't play on the team at all as a senior, and now I'm coming to my parents and saying, with this college degree in hand, I'm going to go play professional basketball. To any, again, any reasonable, logical person, this makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. My mother is a very reasonable, logical person. So she just says, she just goes off. Like, you want to play basketball. If, if you were so serious about playing basketball, if you love playing basketball so much, son, you should go join a men's league or something. Go join a YMCA league or something like that. And she didn't know anything about overseas basketball, so she was just speaking from what she knew. She was saying, listen, you need to go get yourself a job. You got a degree. You need to go. And mind you, she's a teacher. You got a degree, which is what we wanted you to get. You wanted to get it. You need to go get yourself a job. Get a job so you can make some money, so you can get yourself an apartment. Get yourself a car. Uh-huh. Right. The this basics. Is 2000, right. This is 2004. I had cornrows at the time, braids in my hair. She was like, you need to get yourself a haircut. <laughs> go and go live like a reasonable adult, which is, I mean, looking back in retrospect, it was good advice. I mean, she wanted her child to be a functioning, yeah. functioning, contributing member of society as an adult. But I didn't want to follow that path. But I did end up getting a job. I got my first job out of college was at Foot Locker. I was an assistant manager for about six months. Then I worked at a gym called Valley Total Fitness as a uh-huh. gym membership salesperson for another six months. And the next summer, 2005, I went to an exposure camp. An exposure camp is similar to the tryouts that I went to before, but instead of it being one team saying y'all all trying out for our one team an exposure camp is when an organization or maybe one person an entrepreneur puts together an event where all basketball players can come and they'll also invite decision makers from all different teams in all different leagues not only in the united states but also internationally right. to come to the gym and watch all of these players at once and then they get to look at these players talk to these players evaluate them and everyone gets to exchange. It's kind of like a, it's like a job fair. But instead of wearing suits and handing out resumes, you bring your basketball gear and you play basketball. You get it on tape and you get to see who's who, see what's what. You're playing against other guys who want to play pro basketball just like you. So at that camp, 2005, I played really well at that camp. That was probably one of my most important basketball performance to date in my life at that time. 2005, I was 23 years of age. The video from that camp 
I actually got in the mail about two weeks after the camp was over, and it was in a format that some of your listeners may know. We used to call it a VHS tape. VHS tape. <laughs> yeah, I had it on a VHS tape. Uh-huh. That VHS transferred to a CD. CD, I got into a digital file on my parents' home computer, and that footage from that camp actually became, and I'm sure we'll come back to this, my first YouTube video. This was uh-huh. in 2006, my first YouTube video. Okay. But that VHS tape, I would actually go, before I got it on YouTube, I saw, I would make physical copies of the VHS tape. I went online and Googled every basketball agent in the United States and abroad that I could find. Everyone who had an email address that was published, I emailed every single one of them and said, hey, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is my situation. I went to this camp and I, they did a scouting report on me at the camp. And it was a good scouting report. Made me look good. I would send them the scouting report. Anyone who was interested, I would physically mail them a copy of my VHS tape in mm-hmm. physical mail. Mm-hmm. So I sent out 30 of those that summer. Mm-hmm. One agent took interest. He became my agent and he actually got me my first professional contract. And that was in August of 2005 in Kaunas, Lithuania. So that is how my career began. Wow. So this is a true story of perseverance here. <laughs> that is having a vision and not letting the naysayers and the nose get in the way. I mean, this is really the vision. So you go overseas. So overseas basketball is huge, by the way. It's it's huge. So you spent, as you said in here, nine years playing professional. Were you overseas the whole nine years or were you also in the U.S.? I played for one traveling team in the U.S. and I played in Mexico once. So oh. it's not technically not overseas, but it's international. International. Got yeah. it. Cool. So here's where the interesting transition starts happening. So then you start transitioning. You obviously leave professional basketball and your business now, which is the work on your game, right? You're a speaker, you present. As I mentioned, you did three TED Talks. They're amazing. But the one specifically where you talked about showing up when the newness wears off and you call this the third day. So listeners, I want you to listen into this and we're going to have this. We'll have this TED Talk available for you on the podcast page. But it is also, it's ultimately the story which you just shared, which is developing the discipline, right? Creating that discipline and the perseverance. But can you share a little bit more about this, the third day concept? Yeah, the third day concept is very simple. And everyone here knows exactly what I'm talking about. So let's say you decide to do a new workout program. You're a football player. Maybe you decided, maybe you went on vacation or maybe the season ended and you're getting back on the field to work out for all seasons. You can get ready for the next season. You're a basketball player. You're getting back on the court so you can get ready for the next season. Or maybe you're just a quote-unquote regular person. Any of you who have clients, you know these people who come in. They want to get in shape now. They haven't been to the gym. They don't know what to do in the gym, so they hire you to train. First day. First day, they feel great. New, brand-new gym shoes, new gym clothes, (laughs) new gym membership, new trainer. They're excited. New new location. Ready to go. Right. So they show up to the gym. You as a trainer, you kick their ass, right? First day. Everything's hurting, but look, it's the first day. I got a new trainer. It's a new me. It's a new thing. I'm doing this. Let's go. Second day, you work the other half of their body. So you did the upper body the first day. You do the lower half, the lower body the second day. At the end of the second day, they're still super sore, but listen, this is still brand new. It's the second day. They're still getting used to it. Even the, the route driving to the gym is still new to them. It's cool. We're doing this. It's a new thing. Made an investment. Third day. Third day, it's harder to put those shoes on. The third day, those gym clothes don't smell so new anymore. On the third day, you question whether you made the right decision to even show up. Mm-hmm. On the third day, you don't even want to say hi to the 
girl at the front desk. <laughs> on the third day, you don't even want to see the trainer's face because you know what's coming and your whole body's sore now. Because you did the upper body on day one, the lower body on day two. You don't have any more body that's fresh to get beat up on the third day. The third day is the day where for everyone, this is literally for people in the gym and figuratively even for people in business, this is the day when you don't really feel like showing up, the day you don't really feel like being all the way there, the day you don't really feel like working as hard as you did on day one and day two. And it's what you do on the third day that determines your overall success. Because on the third day, if you show up, because some people have to show up. Let's say you work at a job or you're the CEO of a company or you're a trainer. You work five, six, seven days a week. You have to show up, physically be there. But do you really show up? Are you really giving your all to your clients? Are you giving your all to yourself? Are you giving your all to your company or to your business if you're the one running the business? The little differences between showing up and really showing up on the third day do not show the first time or even the fifth time that you don't show up or the fifth time that you do show up. And this is the main reason, Lisa, why most people don't get the full benefits of the third day because you can't see or feel the difference each time. There is no individual third day. And again, the third day doesn't have to be Wednesday. Third day could be any day that you just don't feel like it. But people can't see the difference between showing up on the third day. You show up, you don't see any great you don't get a million dollars because you showed up. Right. If you don't show up, you don't get fired from your job and lose half your clientele because you didn't show up. Mm-hmm. But it's what happens over the long term, over the courses of two years, three years, ten years. From when I first started playing basketball at age 14 to when I got my first deal at age 23, that nine years, I put together a whole bunch of third days. Right. But there were a bunch of third days where I'm out there working on my game on that court by myself. Where someone who was 10 times better than me would walk by laughing at me. Like, Jerry, you're always out there practicing and you're still a bum. You still can't quit. You didn't even make your high school team. What are you doing out there wasting your time? And it was nothing I could say because I didn't have any results to say, hey, well, look at this. I had nothing. I couldn't say anything. But I was putting together those third days, slowly, right. slowly piecing together those third days. Now, now, 20 years later, I can look back at those guys and now they don't say anything about basketball when they see me. Because the difference of putting together all those third days added up, but you can't see it piece by piece. So the third day is disciplining yourself. And this is the very definition of discipline, is doing what you know you're supposed to do, even though there is no direct reward for doing it. Yes, that's great. Third day as well. That is great. Yes. And wow, guys, I, again, I hope you are taking great notes here. And again, I'll have the, the TED talk for you to review on this because this is really a key point. And your whole story really talks about that because it sure would have been easy for you to quit. It would have been easy for you to stop. It would have been easy for you to not make it to that third day, right? That would have been the easy thing to do. But there was something in you, Dre, I mean, that, that's obvious. There was something in you that you were driven and whatever it was, like you knew that just quitting wasn't going to be good enough, right? And just quitting isn't good enough. And you have to make it through those third days when you don't feel like getting out of bed, when it's 110 degrees out there on the court and you don't want to be out there, but you're out there. This is a huge concept, but you don't see the difference on that day. Right. You don't see it happening that day. Very cool. So what is something that you could share with our listeners that you could say that you wish you knew starting out that you know now? Number one thing, and I get this question often, young people ask me, what's something that you would tell your younger self? Uh Number one thing is you must invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing that I would tell my younger self. 
And sometimes when you tell people this, you said invest in yourself. Sometimes you see people's eyes glaze over because they're thinking, okay, well, now I have to spend money, but I don't have any money. Or now this person is going to try to sell me something. But here's the thing about investing in yourself. Investments can be made in more than one way. Mm-hmm. Not just money. Time is more valuable than anything. Time. Investing energy. Investing your attention. Investing your focus. Yes. You have to invest all of these things into yourself. Investing in yourself can mean taking an hour a day out to read a book. Investing in yourself can mean going to a free seminar that's in your town, being run by someone who's giving a talk on something that you actually need to hear. Investing in yourself is taking time out to listen to this podcast when you could be doing 20 other things. You could be listening to a new mixtape by Drake, but instead you decide to listen to the podcast because what you learn on that podcast is going to help you become a more valuable person over the next 10 years where listening to that CD is not going to do anything but take an hour of your time. So investing in yourself is not just what you do with your money. It's what you do with your time, attention, energy, and your focus. If I could tell my younger self one thing, one thing I wish I knew back then, was to start investing in yourself. Start reading books. Go find someone who, whoever you know, anyone who's listening to this right now, think of the five most successful people you know. By whatever measure you deem success, whatever measure you use to know who's successful, think of the most five successful people you know. Go find them, call them, email them, and ask them, what is one book you would recommend I read? Mm-hmm. They'll probably give you five. What are three books you recommend I read? They'll give you 20. And go get all of them. Go get all of those books and read all of them. Because just putting that little bit of investment again, again, that discipline, the investment that you put into yourself eventually will pay you back. It's impossible for you to invest anything and not get it back. That's the law of the universe. That's not something that I made up. It's not something that anybody created when they wrote it in a book. It's the law of the universe. It's the law of karma, which I think, as far as I know, every human I've ever met agrees with. Whatever you put out, you get back. Absolutely. If you put nothing into yourself, how can you expect to get anything back? If you put no value into you, how could you expect anyone else to want to give you value? The more value you put into you, the more you can give to others. The more value you give to others, the more value you will get back. This is a law. It's a hard truth. There's nothing you can do to go against it. If you invest in yourself, you will get it back. It's a guarantee. Absolutely. Amen to that. So I also have to comment on this because it's, again, listeners, if you've been on the podcast here regularly, you know, I've shared this a couple of times and you, you just talked about this. I'm an avid reader. I love to read. However, as a business owner, I have found that I don't always have the time or make the time to actually sit with a book. And so one of the pieces that I've adjusted in my life is I train in the mornings. I have to train and work out in the mornings. And I, you know, I love music. I love listening to good music. I'm a spin instructor. So, you know, music is really important. And it's always motivated me doing my cardio is listening to music. However, the piece that you just talked about, which was I made the conscious decision to say, I need to use that time to work on myself. And so I now use my cardio time, just listening to podcasts, listening to books Whatever way that I can to continue to expand my mind and to think, you know, learn new things and think new things. And I do use that cardio time now. I'm not up there dancing on my cardio like I used to, but I get really deep into it. And that's where I get my really great ideas. So it's about finding where you can invest, right? I decided to make that investment during my cardio time. 
but I do read usually like a chapter at night, like in bed, right before I go to sleep. I'm an avid reader, so I can read half a book if I don't stop myself. So I have to limit myself to one chapter at night and that's it. So anyway, I love that tie-in because it's important to find where, like you can always find time to invest in yourself. So that's just kind of supporting what you just said. Cool. Absolutely. I mean, half hour a day in a year is 175 hours of enrichment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a couple more here. So I want to talk about briefly here, if you could share your biggest challenge now that you face in your business and your biggest success, and then we're going to go in and we'll bring it right back to the same topic about reading. But let's talk about your, your challenge and your success that you can share with our listeners. Biggest challenge that I'm facing in business right now is just finding the right people. Finding the right people so I can, as I talk about on Snapchat, boss up, quote unquote, bossing <laughs> up, meaning when I say that, I mean finding people who want to work for you and then making sure that you give them assignments the right way, clearly, that they can follow, that they can do properly so that the job gets done properly. And I talk about this all the time with entrepreneurs. If you have employees or virtual assistants or anything, yeah. you give them a job and it doesn't get done right, it's not their fault, it's your fault. If it's bad communication, there's something you didn't put in there. There's some way that you did not clearly define the work. And that's the reason why I went that. And if you're going to be the boss, then you absolutely have to take the blame for when it goes wrong. You distribute credit when it goes right. Responsibility. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Cool. That's a good one. Okay. And what about your greatest success right now? Greatest success right now is that I want to get everything that's in my mind, everything that's in my head, I want to get it out to the world in, the, in forms that it will be continuously consumable for people, even when I'm no longer around. So that may be doing podcasts like this. That may be making more YouTube videos, writing more blog posts, writing more books, doing more speeches, making, doing my own podcast, getting as much stuff as I can out to the world so that even if I was not here. Even if I went on vacation for a month, there's so much Dre Baldwin out there in the world that people can get their fill in any format, audio, video, written every single day for as long as they need it. Awesome. Cool. Very, very cool. That's a legacy, building your legacy. So I'm going to transition back because we were talking about investing in ourselves and reading. And one of the, this is my favorite question because I have found as entrepreneurs as a whole are always growing and learning and expanding. And one of the ways is obviously through either what they read or what they listen to. So if you could share, and you were talking about this, and you said if you get a chance to talk to someone who's really successful, find out what they're reading. So if you could share with our listeners the three books that have had the greatest impact on you, either personally and or professionally. Three books. Okay. You know, let me to three. I'll give you... <laughs> you can I, do more. I'll start with... The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Mm. I think everyone knows Napoleon Hill from, of course, Think and Grow Rich, uh -huh. which is the best-selling business book of all time. But the book Think and Grow Rich, which was written in 1938, was published in 1938, was actually derived from mm -hmm. The Law of Success, which yes. was written in 1929. Mm -hmm. The Law of Success is damn near twice as long as Think and Grow Rich. But everything that's in Think and Grow Rich is in the law of success. And I love Napoleon Hill's writing style. It's very direct, yeah. very to the point. He doesn't use any fancy language. And the way that he wrote, I don't know if any anyone listening ever reads books that were written back then, almost a century ago. Some of them are just hard to read because yes. of the way that they write, the type of English that they use. is like, I can't even follow this. It's foreign. Word for word, yeah, because they just had a different style of speaking back then. Yeah. But Napoleon Hill's still translates to this very day as it if does. somebody broke last year. 
It is perfectly translated still. It's timeless stuff that he wrote. So the law of success, number one. And for those of you who are too cheap to go buy the book, if you actually go on any live, any streaming music service, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, what's the other one? Any streaming music service, title, and look up Napoleon Hill. The book, The Law of Success, is actually dictated out as like an audio file on any of those streaming music services. But invest in the book. Cool. That would be one. Second book I will give you is Relentless by Tim Grover. Tim Grover, for those who don't know, was Michael Jordan's personal trainer during his basketball career. He started training Jordan before Jordan started winning championships. Michael Jordan kind of was still kind of a skinny guy. And the Detroit Pistons, the team that kept beating Michael Jordan's team, were kind of beating Michael Jordan up. And Jordan finally decided, look, if I'm going to be taking all this pain, I got to start dishing some of it out. I need to build up my body. Tim Grover is the trainer who Jordan worked with. And Jordan, and with, along with Tim Grover, Jordan actually started the Breakfast Club. I know people have used that phrase now, but the Breakfast Club was first popularized in our culture by Michael Jordan. It was him, Scottie Pippen, and maybe one other Bulls teammate. Every day, every morning before basketball practice, they would go to Michael Jordan's house and lift weights together. That was the Breakfast Club, working out together with Tim Grover. And Tim Grover's book, he ended up training Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant later and a bunch of other NBA guys. His book is all about going from good to great to unstoppable. It is written. The stories he uses, of course, are basketball. He talks about Michael. He talks about Kobe and Dwayne Wade and LeBron and those guys. Even though he uses basketball as the medium, Lisa, the book is not about basketball. Right. The book is about leadership. The book is about discipline. The book is about mental toughness. Right. This is the type of book. This is the best this is the best compliment I can give to all three of these books I'm going to give you. They're the books that I wish I would read. Relentless is a book I wish I would read. Tim Grover is, again, it's mental toughness, discipline, leadership book. He speaks to you know, business owners. He doesn't speak to basketball players only. So it's right. not a basketball book if you're not in the basketball. Excellent. Excellent. And one more. One more. I have to go to my favorite author, who is Mr. Robert Green. He's written a lot of books. I will go with my favorite, which is 48 Balls of Power. Robert Greene's written, I think, five books. He has another one coming out soon on social skills for people. But the 48 Laws of Power is, just as it sounds, it's 48 chapters. Robert Greene explained the 48 most important principles for any person who wishes to come to a position of power in life. And everyone, no matter how much they say they don't, everyone wants power in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. At least you want power over yourself. You want power over how you spend your 24 hours. Everybody wants power. And anybody who's going to have power, you got to deal with people. Because everywhere you go, there are people. Your job, there are people. You run a business, there are people. You want to make money, you got to get the money from people. So the 48 Laws of Power is all about how to handle yourself and then how to use the way that you have power over yourself to have power when it comes to dealing with people. It doesn't necessarily mean manipulating them or doing bad things or immoral things to people. It's just a mindset of being in a position of power. So I'll give you those three. Excellent. I am excited. Those are three well, two of those I have never heard of, which is fantastic. So I've got, I love building this library that I'm doing. So thank you for that. And again, three phenomenal books. So really, really great share there. Thank you. And as we wrap up here, I would love for you to share with our listeners, who is an ideal client for you and how would they go about getting connected to you? My ideal client is a person who is running a business or wants to run a business. They have an idea of what they want to do, but they're not quite sure. They One of two challenges they're facing. One can be they're not quite sure how they're going to get themselves seen, heard, and known because there is so much out there in terms of content in the world today. So many websites 
whatever business you want to get into, there are a thousand other people already doing it. How do you make yourself stand out in the internet space amongst all of these people? And what is the unique offer? What is the unique problem that you're solving? Maybe if it's a problem that has been addressed, how are you solving it in a way that it hasn't been addressed before? If that is a challenge for you, you are a person who calls Dre Ball. The other person is a person who is a business professional or an entrepreneur or an athlete who is running a business or looking to start a business or they maybe want to make themselves a business. Maybe you want to become a professional athlete and you know that you have it skill-wise. You know that you have what it takes to run your business. You know that you have what it takes to get clients, to get customers, to make sure you make payroll, to make sure you make enough money to put food on your table and pay your bills. But the challenge is you think the mental game is the one thing that's keeping you from getting to that next level. You know there's another level. and You feel like the mental toughness, the confidence, the discipline, if you had those at higher levels, you can take your business to another level. You can get yourself seen, heard, and known, and you can get to where you want to get life-wise, business-wise, to take care of yourself, your family, and provide value to a thousand times more people than you provided value to so far. Those people call me. Any one of those two groups. Excellent. And how would they connect with you? You can connect with me directly through my email, which is Dre, my first name, D-R-E, at DreAllDay.com. That's easy for everyone to remember, right? It is. DreAllDay.com. <laughs> awesome. Excellent, excellent, excellent. We'll put the website up there as well. And sure. for our listeners, this has just been a phenomenal journey through this whole entire process literally the discipline of what has brought you to where you are today. I love what you have shared with them. I love that you've shared this journey with our listeners and myself and three fabulous books, you guys. So again, if you haven't written those down, they will be listed on the podcast page. And with that, we're going to wrap up. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. For those of you who are here with us today, again, a quick reminder that the Monetize Your Nutrition Knowledge Live event is happening December 2, 3, and 4 in Las Vegas. We are so excited about the event happening this year. So you guys still have time to get started with us. Learn how to implement these concepts and these ideas and these systems into your business. Right? Create a lifestyle business and share and provide your expertise and the nutrition knowledge that our listeners love to share. So it is a business training for three days. It is not a pitch-a-thon. This is an education conference. It is our favorite thing that we get to do, work with you hands-on three days with the business owners in health, fitness, and wellness industry. Join us. It's coming up. www.monetizeyournutritionknowledge.com. Everything is listed on that website, including the fact that you can get started immediately with the Certified Fitness Nutrition Specialist Program. Get certified before you even get here. And again, then we teach you and work with you on the business concepts, the marketing, the nutrition knowledge, the software, the marketing, the mindset, all of those pieces that we put together and that we talk about every week here on the Fit Pro Industry Podcast. With that, thank you so much. I look forward to talking with you next week. And Dre, thank you again for your time today. We so appreciate having you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. You got it. 